You are listening to the Ibn Abi Umar podcast. This is your host, Umar Osman. In the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala shares with us many stories, inspirational people, stories of people overcoming challenges. He shares with us characteristics of the believers and the righteous characteristics that we should adopt. But he also shares with us the ploys or the plots of shaitan and the characteristics of misguidance as well. And sometimes it's important to go back and revisit what those characteristics of misguidance are. Not just so that we can avoid falling into those traps or following, following those footsteps of shaitan, but so that we can better equip ourselves with the lens by which we see everything around us. Especially in a time where some of that misguidance may be standard or normalized, such that we don't realize that it's there. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us in the Qur'an, يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا دُخُلُوا فِي الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا دُخُلُوا فِي السِّلْمِ كَافَ وَلَا تَتَّبِعُوا خُطُوَاتِ الشَّيْطَانِ إِنَّهُ لَكُمْ عَدُوٌّ مُّبِينٌ O you who believe, enter into Islam completely, and do not follow in the footsteps of shaitan, he is your, indeed your enemy. Now what are these plots, what are these ploys, what are the different ways that he tries to deceive and misguide people? In one ayah of the Qur'an, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala lays out three ways that shaitan does this. Three ways that he tries to get people to fall into misguidance. Allah says, الَّذِينَ يَسْتَحِبُّونَ الْحَيَاةَ الدُّنْيَا عَلَى الْآخِرَةِ وَيَسُدُّونَ عَنْ سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ وَيَبَغُونَهَا عِوَجَ أُولَٰئِكَ فِي ضَلَالٍ بَعِيدٍ in describing the characteristics of those who deny the guidance of the Qur'an, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that they are those who prefer the life of this world over the hereafter, who turn people away from the path of Allah, and those who try to make the path of Allah to appear crooked. Such people have gone far astray. So this first part, الَّذِينَ يَسْتَحِبُّونَ الْحَيَاةَ الدُّنْيَا عَلَى الْآخِرَةِ those who prefer the life of this world over the life of the next. And now there's different ways that we understand that. We understand that in one sense of major things. Someone chooses to follow Islam, someone chooses not to follow Islam. Someone prefers the... And we saw this with when the Apostles first came, that the resistance that the Quraysh had was, are we to give up the way that we've been living our life? Are we meant to renounce everything that we've known? And so they prefer the way of doing things that they had over what changes following that guidance might necessitate. Now sometimes these are major decisions. For example, from opening up a type of business, the type of business that I go into, whether I'm taking that calculus into account of the hereafter versus this life, may determine whether I go into a particular line of business or not. But sometimes the decisions aren't at that major of a level that we think. That, oh, preferring that, you know, I've chosen Islam, therefore I've chosen the life of, of the hereafter. But sometimes that preference comes out of a weakness that's oriented around avoiding discomfort. 
And so think about sometimes the smaller decisions that we make on a day-to-day basis. Not necessarily the big ones, the one-offs, but the smaller things on a day-to-day level. We're out and it's time to pray. Maghrib time might be ending, Zuhr time might be ending. By the time I make it home, the prayer time is going to end. Do I stop? Do I inconvenience myself to find a place to make wudu? Do I perhaps embrace some level of discomfort to stand up and pray outside in public where other people might be watching? Sometimes we will accept that discomfort. Sometimes we'll say, it's alright, it's alright, it's alright, I'll, I'll, I'll make it up when I get home. It's okay, it's not a big deal, I'll, I'll make it up when I get home. Although it's not at that grand scale that we think sometimes, but in those small decisions out of avoiding some sense of discomfort, we defer it. We take the comfort of this world at the risk of the hereafter, instead of the other way around. Where we should tolerate the discomfort of this life, make sacrifice in this life, in order to gain the comfort of the hereafter. You know, one of the things that the Prophet ﷺ told us, he said that toward the end of time, people will summon one another to attack you. And it's like they're eating off of a dish and inviting others to take part. And the Sahaba said is that because our ummah will be small in number. There's not going to be many of us, so people are taking advantage. And he said, no, there's going to be a lot of you. But they'll be weak like the foam, on the, of the foam of the sea, because the love of this world has entered their hearts. And so that love of this world over the next is something that causes a weakness of the entire ummah. Umar an, he said one time, he told he advised others by saying, toughen up. Toughen up because blessings don't last forever. And many scholars have commented throughout history that one of the tests of this ummah is actually going to not be poverty, but that the riches of the world will be open to them, that the luxuries of the world will be open to them, such that the love of those things settles into their hearts. And so there's a material aspect, but there's also an aspect of getting accustomed to how I want to do things, what I feel comfortable with, and a hesitation at making changes to my life that may benefit me in the hereafter. And so how we counteract this, right? There's always many different ways that we can do that. We should increase in our ibadah, we should increase in our shukr. We should make it a habit of visiting the sick, of visiting the graveyards. All these things that we hear over and over and over again. But one thing that I'll mention in terms of specifically this idea of cultivating the love of the dunya in our hearts. Right? Not necessarily the acquisition, but the love that settles into the heart. Is to think in terms of on a day-to-day basis how much of the messaging that we receive reinforces the idea that we should love this life more than the next. Every time we open up any app on our phones, whether it's YouTube or TikTok or Instagram or whatever it may be, but we get bombarded with advertisements. You go to fill up gas in your car, the moment you start pumping gas, 
advertise. Like, there's not a single moment that we can go by without ads intruding our space. But throughout the day, we receive dozens, if not hundreds of messages reinforcing that idea that we should prefer this life over the next. And if it's not the unwanted ones, it's the ones that we willingly follow. It's the people that we willingly talk to or follow or content that we consume that is reinforcing to us, oh, these are all the gadgets I need to get. This is the next thing that's coming out. This is the next thing that I need, you know. It's always looking at the next thing, next thing, next thing, losing sight of the bigger picture. And just think in terms of proportion, how much messaging am I receiving that counteracts and reinforces the idea that I should live my life for the akhirah, for the hereafter? And what does that proportion look like? And am I comfortable with the amount of messaging I'm receiving from both sides? So we should make that assessment for ourselves. And if there is an imbalance, then we need to correct it. Right? By decreasing the content we consume on one side and increasing on the other. In the ayah, Allah continues, الَّذِينَ يَسْتُحِبُّونَ الْحَيَاةَ الدُّنْيَا عَلَى الْآخِرَةِ وَيَسُدُّونَ عَنْ سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ And they prevent people from the path of Allah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us, قَالَ فَبِمَا أَغْوَيْتَنِي لَأَقْعُدَنَّ لَهُمْ سِرَاطَكَ الْمُسْتَقِيمِ That shaitan said that for those, for leading me to stray, I will lie in ambush on your straight path. So shaitan tells us that his job, his motivation, his goal is to lie on that straight path and find ways to prevent people from finding it. And so we learn from this one kind of psychological thing, which is that when someone chooses darkness for themselves, or they've chosen a certain way of life for themselves. They will seek to validate it and find company for it. Shaitan doesn't want to be alone. He wants to bring as many people as he can with him. When people follow a path of misguidance, they're not going to be content being the only one on that path. And so they try to recruit and convince other people to follow their way. And so we have to also be careful about that. Now one thing is that we can see, again, at an obvious big picture level, we might see how people prevent people from practicing Islam. We see in other countries, for example, that perhaps you may be punished, right? For having a Qur'an or for praying or for practicing your faith publicly and so on. There's these big picture items. But we never think that we ourselves play a role in preventing people from the path of Allah. But sometimes that prevention happens from amongst our own selves. There are so many families, right, that are Muslim families, but as soon as the kids, for example, start to express an interest, going to the masjid, or attending an Islamic class, or becoming more active in the community, their own parents will tell them, their own Muslim parents will tell them, hold on, hold on, hold on. Take it easy. Focus on building your dunya first. Focus on school. Don't worry about that stuff right now. Sometimes we find that the people that prevent us from the path are those closest to us. And not just close, but also Muslim. And so we should think in those terms. 
A good friend of mine is a principal at an Islamic school and he, met, he was sharing with me some of the challenges that the kids in the school face. And he said that we, in our school, we have a wide variety of families. They have people from different socioeconomic backgrounds. Right, some people that can afford the private school tuition, but some people who cannot. Different types of families, families of varying levels of religiosity. Families that are very religious and practicing, and some people who are not practicing at all, but they just want their kids to be in a better school. So he said, we have a wide variety of students. He said, but the thing that he's noticed is that each of the students, regardless of their background, regardless of their family situation, the kids are all struggling with the same things that the other kids in society are struggling with. And so he said the challenge often becomes the kid comes and proclaims one thing. The kid comes and says something. The kid goes down a certain path. And the parents say this is clearly against everything that we know, everything that we've grown up with, everything that we've been taught, everything that our religion says. How do we respond? Because this, this child of ours has gone way off, right? Forget Salat al-Mustaqim, they're out in left field. And he said the thing that he reminds the parents that if the parents overreact to their children and cut them off, threaten them. Often, you know, we use religion as a means of discipline. We tell our kids, if you do this, Allah will hate you. If you do this, Allah will punish you. If you don't obey me, Allah will be mad with you because you have to obey your parents. We, we kind of put the spiritual manipulation on our, on our children. But he said that parents sometimes they're so upset that they respond with that anger. And he reminds them that if the parent responds with that type of anger, they may turn the child off from Islam for the rest of their life. Because oftentimes those children have been cut off from everyone else, the last thread holding them to their Islam is their family. And if the family turns them out, then they've essentially been turned out from the deen. And so it's very important that we keep in mind, especially with those close to us, the, for, you know, forget the rest of the community, but we think about our actions, our own behaviors, the way that we speak, the way that we treat the people around us, closest to us, especially when we talk about in terms of living our life for Allah, living for the Akhirah. Our actions will be interpreted from that lens. And so we have to be very careful in ourselves how we treat and talk to those closest to us to make sure that they don't attribute my shortcomings, my perhaps bad behavior, my mistakes, to being representative of the deen. Right? To them being turned off from their religion. It's fine if I may make a mistake, someone gets upset with me, we can deal with that. But it shouldn't push them away from the religion. Which is the mistake that a lot of people unfortunately fall into. May Allah protect us and preserve our families. In describing these three characteristics of misguidance, Allah SWT tells us, الَّذِينَ يَسْتَحِبُّونَ الْحَيَاةُ الدُّنْيَا عَلَى الْآخِرَةِ Those who preserve, uh, prefer the life of this world over the next. وَيَسُدُّونَ عَنْ سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ And they prevent people from the path of Allah. 
And they try to appear to make it look crooked. They try to make it look like something's wrong with it. And so we see this now very prevalent. We see this now very prevalent. That someone may have chosen for themselves a certain way. But it's not enough for them that I'm living my life in this way. Or this is the path that I've adopted for myself. I also now want to make sure that that path of Islam is ridiculed. That it looks bad. That it, we not only are we preventing people, we don't even want people to look at it because we've made such a mockery of it, so to speak. And unfortunately, we see this all the time. When a certain norm or standard takes over society, there's a pressure to conform. To adopt a popular narrative or a popular way of thinking or a certain worldview. But as Muslims, we understand that our worldview is shaped by our revelation. What Allah told us in the Quran, what the Prophet ﷺ told us. And so that shapes our perspective. But now as society changes, some of what those things are might start to look, for lack of a better term, weird. Right? Or odd or strange. What is this crazy religion? And there's a malicious aspect to it, which again, we see, unfortunately, very common at the moment, which is almost the dehumanizing rhetoric, right, playing out in Philistine. That these people are not human. That these people are like animals. That they are not equal to us. May Allah give them victory over their oppressors. But we see how that dehumanization rhetoric is used to justify these types of crimes and atrocities. At the same time, that is not, that type of rhetoric is not used against others. But it is for some reason against Islam and the Muslims that people try to do that. But we've been told, we know from the Quran that this has been happening since the beginning. This is the playbook and the plot of shaitan. And so we have to again understand how we respond to that. And we know Allah SWT tells us in the Quran over and over that they will try to extinguish the light of Allah, but they can't. They try, but they can't. No matter what they do, no matter what they say, no matter how much they try to mock, they can't. But there's two other things that give us solace in that. You know, one very interesting hadith, the Prophet ﷺ said, Islam began, began as something strange, gharib. Islam began as something strange, right? And that's when the message first came, Everyone thought it was weird. What do you mean we don't have all these idols anymore and there's only one God? That's strange. What do you mean by this? Right? We're not accustomed to hearing that. Islam began as something strange and it will return to something strange. So, Tuba lil Paradise for those strangers. Meaning that if you're the person that has to leave work and go pray in public because it's time to pray and that's weird, then so be it. If I have to skip the lunch because I'm fasting, then so be it. If I'm not going to attend a certain gathering because there's alcohol, then so be it. If I'm going to turn down some opportunities because that everyone says, well, this makes a lot of sense, you should do it, it might be weird. You talk to a financial advisor and they'll tell you, why are you investing in these quote-unquote halal funds? You're losing money, you should invest in these other ones to make more money. That's weird. It's like, well, I'm living with a different perspective and a different purpose. 
The things that may seem weird to you are not so weird to me. But even if they are, it doesn't bother me. Because I know that the Apostle promised paradise for those strangers. But more than that, more than that, because all of these things are a cascade. Once we make that testimony of La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah, all those changes start to happen. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us in the Quran, Shahidallahu Annahu la ilaha illahu wal malaikatu fa'udul ilmi qa'iman bilqist la ilaha illahu wal azizul hakim. That indeed, verily of a surety, Allah the Almighty, the All Wise, also testifies la ilaha illallah, as do the angels and the people of understanding. But some scholars commented that this is a reassurance. Because when I say La ilaha illallah, there are automatic consequences in my life for making that statement. And you ask anyone that's embraced Islam later in their life, that the moment they made that testimony, La ilaha illallah, their life was turned upside down. Family members would stop speaking to them. They would get disowned, kicked out of the home, all these types of things that happened. Right, the consequence being the moment I said La ilaha illallah, all these consequences started to happen. And Allah is telling us, take solace, take comfort, take reassurance, that this statement that you made that is so powerful, Allah also makes the same testimony. Meaning that you're not alone. No matter how strange it might feel, no matter how weird it might feel, no matter how much it may feel, that everyone is united against us. Allah is saying that you are not alone when Allah is on your side. That Allah Himself and the angels that you don't see also make this testimony of La ilaha illallah. So take comfort in that, in that affiliation and in that belonging. And shape your life accordingly. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you'd like to support the podcast, please subscribe in Apple Podcasts or Google Play or whatever podcast player you use. And please rate and review the podcast. As always, if you share it with a friend that's much appreciated, you can check the show notes for all the details and links. See you in the next episode.